Thanks for joining me. I'm John Bradshaw. This is Conversations. My conversation today is with Christian Burdahl. He's an international speaker and musician, and he has an amazing story of recovery, transformation, and reformation. Christian Burdell, welcome to Conversations. Thank you, brother. Glad to be here. I am glad you're here. Your ministry today is Shepherd's Call. Yep. It takes you all over the world. People are familiar with you from sea to shining sea and across the great blue ocean expanse. We're going to talk about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how God is using you in ministry. And we'll touch a little bit on the message that you share when you travel from place to place. Sure. But before we get there, let's go back to the beginning. You're a long way from Christ. That's right. This is an incredible story. Take me back to the start. Well, my mom was uh, 16 years old when she got pregnant with me. My dad was 18. What my mom didn't know was that my dad, uh, by the time he was 17 years old, was already a daily drinker and was addicted to prescription drugs that he was stealing from all the neighbors. And so this began a platform, a foundation for really the next 20 years uh, of, of our lives. My mom had two more children with him, uh, my biological father. And so there are three of us boys, and uh, he was just not there for us. We moved, by the time I was seven years old, we had moved 13 times around the country uh, because when you don't uh, pay the bills, you don't go to work, you lose your job, and you get kicked out. And so we were living in abject poverty. It was just um, it was a lame beginning, if you will, uh, for, for a child. And when my I was seven years old, my mom had had enough after my dad drove us home from a party of friends, a barbecue, and he was drunk and just swerving all the road. My mom was uh, telling him to pull over, and he wouldn't, and got home. She said, that's enough. Enough. I'm divorcing you. And she did. If you were to take the story as it's typically told Mm -hmm. and fast forward it, the amount of years that have passed between then and now, I'd be interviewing somebody who's in prison, Mm. or I'd be interviewing someone who's dead, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So already we know enough about you to know that God has intervened in your life and done some truly phenomenal things. Absolutely. We'll go back to that point. Mom and dad divorce. Yep. And so you were in abject poverty before. It didn't get any better anytime soon. Didn't get better uh, because mom now had to go into the workforce. She didn't have any marketable skills. She was at the bottom rung in labor. Uh, she did get a job working at a bank and um, she had to put us in daycare. And uh, it was all, the, the state was coming in and helped out, and we were living in, in uh, you know, state-funded housing and on food stamps. Thankfully, there are those programs in the U.S., um, yet you, you don't, you don't, you're not living very high. You're, you're down here, you know, and you're, you're living in, uh, in a bad part of town. And my mom put us in this little daycare run by a lady named Blanca, and her son, a teenage son, and her daughter would take care of us little boys and girls when it was time for a nap, and they would supervise. What my mom didn't know was that that teenage boy was molesting about six of us little kids uh, when it was nap time. And so that went on for quite a long time, and that would actually be one of the first big secrets that I would keep. Um, and you just kind of keep it in there. You pack it down. You don't tell anybody. Because it, it, it's presented to you in such a way, when you're just a little boy, that, you know, this is this is something special, you know, and, you don't tell anybody because we'll get in trouble because we're not supposed to. 
And, you know, you're just this little boy that doesn't have a dad now, and you have this male figure in your life that's saying, don't get him in trouble. And so I just never said anything. And so it went on for a while. Eventually, I didn't want to go there anymore. My mom didn't understand why, and I wouldn't tell her until I was an adult, uh, about 27 years old. How did that affect you at the time? Well, when you have something like that going on, it starts to play games with you uh, mentally and emotionally. And at the same time, my mom remarried to a man that was uh, really became our family's worst nightmare. He was a it was it was horrible, and we can get into that in a minute if you want. But what it did is it now my dad's not there, and then this other male figure, even though he's young for a seven year old boy, a teenager's you know an old guy, uh, and now he's doing things to me that I, he shouldn't be doing. So what it does is it builds up a lack of trust in your heart. And you start putting walls up. And so I had all this pain and confusion. And, and I, because my mom had gotten remarried, her focus was over there. And so my mom wasn't really there for me emotionally speaking. And so you, you feel like you're walking around wondering what's that guy's angle and what's that person's angle. And you start to develop this thought process that everybody wants something from you and you can't tell anybody what's going on. So you become very private and you wall things up. Do you think there's more of this taking place in the world than many of us would realize? No question. I give my testimony around this world. People come out of the woodworks because the testimony gets worse, unfortunately. But the reality is so many people have these issues and sometimes they're within the church and sometimes they're people that have come to the church because, you know, I learned a long time ago, the church is not a, a place of perfect people. Uh, it's a hospital for sin-sick right, souls. for sure. And so people bring a lot of baggage. And as a result, every time, no matter where I have been, uh, in, in the Adventist church, in Baptist churches, in other congregations, Church of God in Christ, different places I've spoken and given my testimony all over the world, uh, people come out of the woodwork. So it's a, it's a universal problem. Hey, speak to that kid who's going through what you went through. Mm. Speak, to, speak to little you. And I don't know whether you want to take me back to when you're 4, 5, 6, mm. or 12, 13, 14. Mm. Speak to the youthful Christian Burdal who's going through mm. this kind of hell yeah. and doesn't know what to do. Uh, if I could talk to Christian, I would say, Christian, you need to go tell somebody. You've got to tell them what's going on. And if you can't trust mom or dad, then find somebody that you can, a grandma, a grandpa, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher at school, uh, a pastor at church, uh, an elder, uh, somebody, a friend that you trust, that you think will believe you, and you have to tell them. Uh, because if I could have told my mom back then, because I was afraid, I didn't want to get anybody in trouble, and, and, and so I thought, if I, you know, what kid wants to get in trouble themselves? And I was told I would get in trouble. So last thing you want to do is go tattle on yourself. But I'm, I want to tell young Christian, you're not tattling on yourself. You're tattling on, you're telling the truth about what that person did to you and what they did was wrong. And they're hurting other people. And Christian, this is going to impact you in your future if, if you, you don't deal with this. What do you think your mother would have done if you told her about it when you were seven years old? Honestly, I, obviously, if I would have told her that what was going on, she would have immediately pulled us out. And I would hope she would have had the courage to inform the police. Um, I'm sure Blanca, who was running the little daycare out of her home, didn't know what was going on. And indeed, it doesn't matter if it hurts people's feelings or whatever. It's wrong and it has to be stopped. Because I have to live with the idea, um, John, that 
how many more kids were impacted by this and what if I had said something? How many other kids wouldn't have had to gone, gone through it? That's a lot to put on the shoulders of a seven-year-old. Too much. Yeah, way too much. Life was spiraling downwards. Your mom had remarried. Mm -hmm. This didn't make things any better. It made no. things worse. Yeah. But here you are today. So mm -hmm. walk us through how you walked through. Well, my stepdad, um, he was heavy-handed from the beginning. And he was an authoritarian. He had been in the military. I think the military got a little bit hard, uh, hold of his brain a little bit. Uh, he was raised in a very difficult home as well. Just a, a cruel, mean father. And I saw him, later I see all this, but at the time I didn't know. Uh, and unfortunately, with that man, um, all three of us, boys and my mother, were just beaten and whipped and tied up. And uh, the, the abuse was criminal. The abuse was unbelievable. And as we got older, the abuse increased. And my mom would have to wear clothing strategically to cover up all the bruising on her body and he would always attack our heads and uh, grab us by the hair and just shake us violently and I'd wake up in the hallway not knowing I, I knew what had happened before but obviously I was knocked out uh, he'd grab metal soup ladles and crack you over the head and he was just a violent vile man hit so hard in the head one day I had a grand mal seizure and wound up in the hospital I'm not wanting to fault your mom and I'm certainly not wanting to fault women who find themselves in similar situations. Mm -hmm. but the first time or the second time or the third time or the tenth time he got violent, your mother didn't leave. No, and then and the thousandth time she didn't leave. Help us, help us to understand that. It's really easy to say, so just leave. And yeah, in a certain, in a in certain sense, right, in a certain sense, you can. Yeah. But frequently it doesn't happen. Why do you think that is? And I want you to speak to people going through that yeah. now. It's, it's, it's fear. Number one, it's fear. He had put the fear of our lives in her mind. So if she had said anything or left him, he would kill us children and vice versa. If we said anything about with my mother, what was going on, then he would kill our mom. And so we, and, and the abuse was already bad enough that you believe him. Sure. <laughs> That's the next step. Right. And so... Uh, for us, we were just riddled by and led by and governed by fear. And this man ran our lives. So fear is a, an incredible motivating factor in, in most of these abuse situations. You feel like, and, and it's the part of the mental programming that they have, that they, you, you, you tend and start to believe that you can't survive on your own without them. You'll, and that's what we were always taught. We, I'll never amount to anything. Uh, and, and we're going to hitch our wagon to his star, that kind of idea. And um, my mother was absolutely wrapped around this man's finger. And she believed that there was no way out. And we children, no way out. What mom didn't know was the abuse was worse when she was at work and he came home early. What does your mom wish she'd done differently? Oh, my mom, my mom for years and still to this day uh, is riddled with guilt because she stayed so long. She wound up staying almost 10 years with that man uh, from the time I was eight till I was a sophomore in high school. And so she uh, should have gone and sought help much sooner. Where do you go for help like that? Well, in the United States specifically and other countries as well, there are programs that will help battered women. In fact, my mother, we can get to this maybe in the future, but my, my mother actually is spearheading 
programs with the Salvation Army creating these kinds of places. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. So the reality is you you got to go and tell somebody, and you've got to get somebody on your side. And indeed, she eventually did. So this went on in your life, this kind of heavy-handed, brutal abuse yeah. went on until you're 17, 18 years of age. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to keep getting to the end of the story and doubling back, but how do you survive that? Mm. This is going to destroy, I'm yeah. guessing, eight, nine kids out of ten, mm. not you. Yeah. Why not? You don't consciously do this, but you start developing coping mechanisms. And I would, I would play these mind games where I would be somewhere else, or I would imagine myself you know, doing, living a different life. I would escape into music. Music was really a big thing for me to where I, I was living in such an angry, hostile environment. The more angry the music was and more satanic and dark it was, I could totally relate because that's what I felt like inside and was just numbing my, my real experience and I could escape for a little bit. Well, you said what you do is you escape to this other place. Lots of kids do. They escape yeah. to crime. It doesn't fix to, anything. Well, they escape to crime, drugs, alcohol, gangs, the streets. Yeah. You didn't. No. You, you had a – do you know why? Do you know why that was? Why you didn't go down the, a, a trap door? You managed to keep your feet on somewhat solid ground. Yeah. I, eventually, my mom saw what was going on. I went to a school counselor and at my high school, and I said, look, I have a friend <laughs> – I have a friend who's going through these issues because I didn't know how this would work. I didn't want them to call up my, my, my mom and my stepdad and say, you know, Chris has been telling us some pretty interesting things. Then my life would really be over. So um, I went to a counselor. We figured out a plan. I sat them both down. I said, I have a phone number. You touch any one of us again, it's all over. Now, I didn't say it like that. I was a teenager that was terrified of this man that had been assaulting me for so long and my family. You confronted him? 100% face-to-face. And as he lit up like a missile and went to the back of the house, punching, screaming, profanities, everything, which was normal for him, uh, my mom and I were sitting there in the family room, and I'm like, I did it. <laughs> I did this, wow. you know? And, yes, you and, did. And I was terrified. I was shaking. I was sick. I was nauseous. And, and I, I'm looking at her, and she's looking off at where he went and looking at me, and I'm like, Mom. And she went after him. She went after him. And she came back within a few minutes saying, why are you doing this to us? I spank you too, and I'll get in trouble too. And I said, Mother, you spank us with a wooden spoon, and we laugh half the time. This is not the same level. Interestingly enough, I believe somebody was praying God into my life at that point because I found some of that strength because I was such a victim before. And, but I never accepted it. I hated what was happening. But if I, if I rebuffed the system or went against the system, then I got, I got hurt. Isn't your mom's reaction interesting? Yeah. I'm guessing it's not unique. No, it's not. Because she's dealing with all kinds of what's going to happen I to me now. I just upset him. Yeah. And she's got to go and calm him down. Right. She knew I was right, but she was scared. Fear. Fear is such a motivator. How did you guys get out of that mess? Oh, man. My mom now was working for the bank. Now she's in human resources. She had worked up all the years, and she had put together an enrichment program for the employees and they had a person coming in talking about success and goal setting and all this kind of stuff. All right, everybody, take out a piece of paper. Write down what the top three things that are most important to you. No judgment, whatever it may be. She sat there and thought for a minute. She wrote down, my boys. Second thing, my boys. And then she starts bawling, my boys. And she had put us in a dangerous place again. And she realized it, and she woke up, Brother John. And she went to the police department. And she said, I'm living with a violent man. We have guns throughout the house. We were raised 
I was raised with guns hunting and all of that, and uh, they advised her on what to do. I had to empty all the ammunition out of the, the firearms and stuck it underneath my bed that night when she told me, this is the night. She had worked everything out with the attorneys. She had the police show up in the morning uh, when she was going to tell them what was going on. And our family came with a moving truck. She told them what was going on. The police said, you need to leave the premise or you'll be arrested. And uh, we loaded up a few things, and we took off. We were gone. Well, a, a textbook exit. And it doesn't happen like that all the time. No, but hell, that's a wonderful way for, th- for things to play Praise out. Praise the Lord. So we were free now. Yes, you were. But geographically. But what's interesting is when you've lived in that much control and that much fear, even though you leave geographically, you're not free here. How long did it take for some of that to start unraveling? Years. It took years. And unfortunately, my brothers got involved in drugs and alcohol to numb all the pain. I got involved in theater <laughs> and getting good grades, and I just went a different way. <laughs> yes, you did. Praise yes, the Lord. Did. I want to say God was merciful to you, but to say that would, would indicate God wasn't merciful to them. But we have free will and we have choice. God was merciful to all of you in reaching out with His grace, and you responded. Yeah. In a moment, we've got to get to the place where you tell us how you came into ministry. Oh, man. God evidently had his hand over you from a long way back, and we're glad he did. I'll be back with more with Christian Budal in our conversation right after this. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. This is Pearl. When Pearl heard about the Eyes for India initiative, she decided she was going to take matters into her own hands. When Pearl's birthday came around, she invited all of her friends over for a birthday party, and the theme of the party was Eyes for India. She told her friends about the thousands of people in India who couldn't see, and how this critical eye surgery could change their lives. Instead of gifts, Pearl asked that her friends bring donations for this important project. Because of Pearl's influence, seven people are now able to see. Her story inspired our brand new mission kit. It's a box that has everything you need to fundraise your own project for Eyes for India. Whether it's at the front desk of your business, part of your small group, or a special church project, this kit is guaranteed to change lives. We can't wait to hear about all the creative ways you find to make this resource come to life, just like Pearl. Welcome back. This is Conversations. I'm John Bradshaw. With me, my guest, Christian Burdal from Shepherd's Call Ministries. Christian, so far in our conversation, we've covered some, some tough ground. Yeah. You're now 17 or 18 years of age, and your life up until this point has been difficult. Mm. A moment ago, your mom finally said, we're done. You all moved out. Life changed. It probably didn't get a whole lot easier in some ways, but much easier in others. Definitely. Today, you're in Christian ministry. You went from fleeing an abusive family situation to ministering on the front lines with the gospel. So we got some uh, gaps to fill in. What happened after you all left that home? When we left, you know, it's interesting as we were talking, when you are geographically set free 
and maritally you're set free. It doesn't mean you're set free in your mind and in your heart. Sure. And it took a while for that to unravel for me. And so on one hand, um, I, I honestly just made a decision. I saw what the alcohol did. I saw what the drugs had done. I saw what evil men uh, that were not being uh, led by any sort of standard of any sort of morality, how their life was and how it impacted me. And I, I remember l- making a conscious choice as, as a teenager saying, I'm going to a new town. I'm going to go to a new high school. I don't even want to get, I was, used to be a wrestler and run track, and I didn't even want to do that. I'm like, I want to change everything. What sort of a part or role did God play in your life back then on, on a conscious level? Uh, none. I mean, on a conscious level, I had no God in my life. I didn't want God. What I had seen were my, my step-grandparents who were just mean and nasty to each other. They'd take us to church, and they acted like different people. They put the little fingers in the holy water, and they were holy people, but they were horrible. And I thought, no, I figured out who's, what's going on here at church. These are a bunch of hypocrites. So honestly, John, for me to, to be a preacher around the world is a huge miracle. Well, it is. So, <laughs> so what did you do? You said you were drawn to theater. Yeah. You're very well known as a, as a singer, as a musician today. Uh, somehow the Lord led you into Christianity. Take us through that. So the, the quick version is this. I got involved in theater because I wanted to get into the class. The teacher said, look, if you want to be in my drama class, you got to audition for a show. I auditioned for the show. I got a lead role. And from then on, all I ever got was lead roles. And the reality was I had been an actor my whole life. Mm, sure. So I was trained. I didn't realize it, but I was trained. And I had a natural ability to sing and I'd learned dancing, and so I became what's called a triple threat, singing, dancing, and acting. And so I got all of these, these roles all the time, and I started getting all the pats on the back I never received as a child or as an early teen. And so I'm like, this is what I want to do. Sure. Got involved in that, went to college. I started taking a bunch of self-help courses. And, I mean, everything from The Power of Positive Thinking to Tony Robbins, to you name it, I was, I was ingesting everything I could to fix this noodle I had. And that was conscious. You were saying, I've been yeah, through some yeah, rough yeah, stuff. Yeah. I've got to do something about it. Absolutely. That's very conscious. healthy. It is. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, and honestly, looking back, I have no idea where that came from except for the Lord. It didn't come naturally from me. I do believe that somebody was praying the Lord into my life. I believe that too. And I think that's a lesson to all of us. We see a dysfunctional family or a family in crisis or some kids struggling. Pray for that person. Hey, Pray for man. that person. Pray for that family. And you know why. And some people don't know why. We're in what we would call a great controversy. We have this battle between good and evil, God and Satan. And I was living in occupied territory, you see. And, and God wanted to, to put the infantry in there. But we had been serving another master, and so he was not welcomed. The way God can infiltrate is through the power of prayer. That's right. He's now invited. He's now injected in. I believe somebody was doing that for me. No question about it. My family. Professionally, you didn't stay with the theater. What happened? Well, honestly, I got involved in business. I started a company with a friend of mine. It grew into three companies. I didn't have time for theater anymore, so I hung up my acting clothes. had 32 employees, and I was making money, and i like, this is the American dream. Never amount to anything. Give me a break. And so I'm like, making money? This is easy. And so I was living the dream, if you will. Uh, And then my business partner, who was 10 years my senior, and it used to be a runway model, she um, had embezzled our companies into the ground. So oh, no. I lost everything. No way. This is where God enters my life. 
So I lose it all. I'm scrapping, going, what am I going to do? I got back in. I had I left this out, but I got involved in TV production right out of high school because I wanted to get into to communications and media. Uh, and so I was taking business media and, and uh, child psych. But my, one of my professors said, if you want to get into the TV world, you need to go and intern. So I, I took him up on that, and I went out and I found a job, but I wasn't going to work for free. I actually got hired. So I got a paying job. I started off in the bottom of production, working in master control, uh, and eventually running camera, and then eventually lighting, and then shooting. And it, it, my, my, my skill set continued to grow to where I was writing uh, spots, uh, commercials. And so I had hung all that up to do business for a while. Uh, and then when I lost everything... I called all the different producers I knew, and I said, I'm back in the game. I need as much work as I can get. I got a call shortly thereafter from a director from a TV station that said, a producer, I need a director, and I have three cameramen, and here's the job. It's four days. Here's what it pays. I said, well, what's the, what is it? What's the event? He said, it's a, it's a, a camp meeting. I said, well, what's a camp meeting? A camp meeting. A camp meeting. I said, well, what's a camp meeting? He goes, I don't know, a meeting about camping. I have no idea. what. And I said, uh, okay, I grew up camping. All right, I'll, I'll take the job. I, did, I was going to take any of the jobs anyway because sure, I, sure. I lost everything. Yeah. I moved in with my mom. My mom had remarried to a good, solid Christian man. Oh, thank God. Thank God. What a blessing he was. I mean, I think he's a saint with what he went through with my brothers and me because when he first came into our lives and wanted to tell me anything, I was like, <laughs> and I don't need another guy telling me anything. Sure. But then my, uh, I take this job to get into uh, shooting this thing at the uh, Lodi Great Festival Grounds, looking for a man named Danny Vieira. It was a camping meeting, huh? It was a camping meeting, All that's right. right. All right. So, <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> so how did that impact your life? Like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. wow. So that. really short version is I was not excited when I figured out what this was. You were not? No, because I said to him, well, what should we set up? You know, I got I only have three cameras. We'll set one on the front, one on the side, maybe a handheld remote camera, perhaps for your tent demonstrations or whatever you're going to do. And he's like, "My what?" I said, "Your tent demo." Or, I don't know what you're going to do for your camping meeting. He goes, "Oh no, 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 no." He goes, "I see what you mean." He goes, "No, no, no. Uh, these are religious meetings that people camp at." And I was like, "Oh, great." Yeah, right. This my life has sunk this low. But you were getting paid. I was getting paid. Yeah, right. That's the only reason I stuck around. I, was, sure. I, was, I called my producer and I said, do you know what these meetings are? He said, I do. They'll be good for you. Oh, really? <laughs> and hey, they were a true wood spoken. He, he was right. That's he didn't sure. know how right he was. I, love, I know who he was. I still know his name. I'm going to look him up and say, you have no idea. That's right. He sent me on that shoot and it led to me preaching around the world. <laughs> so how did it lead to you preaching around the world? You go to a camp meeting. Yeah. You could have uh, set your cameras up, shoot your pictures. Leave. And that's how it started. I was not interested. I remember just sitting in the production van, just sitting there going, all right, ready, one, take one, two, give me a tight shot. But just going through the, you know, I, I, I was a monkey at that point. I didn't even want to shoot this thing. And then Danny gets up there, and he's talking about Daniel's diet, and he's this buffed-out guy, tan, used to be a bodybuilder. He's wealthy. He's run, he owns health food stores. And I'm like, this is not a Christian. My a Christian, in my mind, is these poor, pathetic people that, God takes all their money, you know, so it didn't work in my brain. Sure. But Danny befriended me. Eventually, I started shooting some of his uh, his uh, church services, 
Um, and then I did a cancer therapy video with him down in Mexico. He kept hiring me, kept hiring me, kept hiring me. So you developed a relationship we with We developed this, a deep a Christian teacher and preacher. Yeah. I didn't want to hear what he had to preach, uh, although I didn't mind it when I was hired. <laughs> but sure. never took him up on a, an offer to Bible study. Long story short, I decide I'm going to move now to uh, Santa Barbara and go to film school down there with my girlfriend, Kobe. And... Um, during that point, I, my career really started taking off in production. I worked with Nickelodeon, PBS, ESPN, and shooting high end, highest end you could shoot at at the time, and um, in all different aspects of production. So I was very, my, everything was taken off. I was very excited. However, I got Kobe pregnant. We lost the baby at about four and a half months. Mm. That is where everything started to change for me. I started questioning deeper things in my life. I started asking the question, "Wait a second. I don't want to go down the same road my dad did. I don't, my mom, I don't want to have a child out of wedlock. I, I want to be married someday. I don't want, there's consequences to my actions. And so I went to Kobe and I said, I'm madly in love with you. I totally love you. But I, I think we should not be intimate together. And so we started taking these steps backwards in the world's eyes, but forward in God's eyes. Sure. At this point, I had gone forward one time at an altar call at a, at a business meeting, actually where it was, you know, once saved, always saved kind of transaction. I'm like, well, I'm a business guy. It makes sense. Might as well go to heaven instead of hell. Sure. So <laughs> I, I took the deal, if you will. But I, I, I listened to Christian radio. I owned a Bible, never opened it, uh, and I stopped cussing. And uh, I was now a vegetarian because of Danny's influence. So clearly God is working in your life. Yeah, this, we is. understand this thing called Christianity is a growth. Yeah, yeah. So you were growing. You were yeah. doing some serious yeah. growing here. Yeah, it was good. And uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, uh, assign it to that. I didn't know that it was God. I wasn't against it now, but I wasn't like, yay, I want to be a Christian. I was just like, transaction done, you know. Uh, but I wound up not being able to find a job in production uh, when we moved to Arizona where Kobe's family had moved. And that had never happened for me. I was always highly billable, and I could, I could, I could always be hired. But I think it was part of God's plan. Because I had this overwhelming desire well up inside of me to go see my friend Danny. Now I'm a total, I'm a worldly guy. And he's running uh, a conservative health ministry and in the church. And uh, he says, come and work for me. And I said, I'll take the job. And God, through a different things, uh, led me to embrace that affirmation that I would go. And I went back and told Kobe, and I moved out to California, where Danny was uh, based. And uh, I joined his ministry and started shooting, and eventually asked me to start singing for him when he heard me singing around our family worship. And he said this to me, John. He goes, if you're going to work for me, you might as well know why I keep the Sabbath. Will you study that out with me? I said, yeah, I'm here. I'm game. Let's go. So we studied it out, the whole Sabbath, on the Sabbath. And I turned to him when we were done. It was hours, hours, but I was, I was soaking it up. I, I wasn't exhausted. I, I turned to him when we were done. I go, is everything that you believe that clear in the Bible? I had never opened the Bible before in my life. And I thought it was this mysterious book that was difficult to understand. And he says, everything, Christian, that I believe is that clear. And was he telling the truth? He was telling the truth. Because I, and I said to him right then, I don't even know why I said this. I went, huh, I'll probably become a Seventh-day Adventist, huh? He goes, you study out what I understand in this word of God, and we'll let God's word answer these questions. 
the most natural thing for you to become is a Bible-keeping, Sabbath-keeping Christian. And the closest group that is doing this, as I see it, is the Seventh-day Adventist. Like those Bereans, you were, you were searching out these things with all readiness of mind, Amen. seeing whether these things were so. It was so. incredible. So you were baptized. You gave your heart to Christ. You became a Christian. Yep. What were you doing for work? Still working in the same place? I was working there uh, with him. And interestingly enough, uh, he studied out with me. It was about a 10-month process. We were studying all the time. And uh, I just was like, yep, I accept it. It makes sense, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. And at a camp meeting that following year, uh, he baptized me in his, in his swimming pool. And uh, a week later, Kobe and I had started reestablishing a friendship. And I started witnessing to her. I didn't know it was called witnessing. I was just sharing Jesus with her. She had seen such a change in my life and in my heart because God had, had given me a gift. He gave me a gift of utter foundation, uh, excuse me, uh, of forgiveness, which would be the foundation that my Christianity could be built on. This worldly girlfriend of yours, this worldly ex-girlfriend by yeah, the sounds of yeah. it, uh, saw this change in your life. Did it, did it freak her out or was she welcoming with what oh, she saw? She, she, she just kept saying, who are you? Who are you? She liked the new you? Yes. She would say, you're so, you seem like you're at peace. You're just so free. You're just, you, you seem like I can talk to you. And I said, his name is Jesus Christ. Nice. His name is Jesus Christ. And she said, I said, I know you've heard of him. I know you live in America. You can't hear about, you, you will hear about God and Jesus and you hear about Satan. You're going to hear those three. And I said, but the picture you have, like I had, of Jesus is wrong. And the picture of God. And so I said, I need you to read a little book that I read that just rad- radically changed my life called Steps to Christ. That'll do it. Oh, man. And I read that book and I held on to that thing like it was my lifeline. And what Danny told me, anytime you read these books, every scripture re- reference that's there Go into your Bible, look it up, go from that page to that page and read a little bit more if you need to to get the understanding of context. And so I read the whole thing through. And, and I read that book on a continuous cycle even today. Sure. Uh, I, I pick it up, get to chapter 13, I go again. I just keep going, I keep going. Um, and so I started sharing that with Kobe. Eventually God brought us back together. She accepted everything. And then Danny marries us. Nice. <laughs> How about that? That's Incredible. a fantastic story. Amen. That's fantastic. Now, now you started <laughs> to speak about music more and mm, more. That's yeah. what you became very well known for. Right. When we come back, let's talk about that. Let's talk about music and how you see music and what you're teaching people about music around the world. Sounds good. This is Conversations. I'm John Bradshaw. He is Christian Budal, and we'll be right back. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line upon line from It Is Written TV.
Thank you for remembering that It Is Written is a faith-based ministry, and it's your support that makes it possible for us to share God's good news with the entire world. Your tax-deductible gift can be sent to the address on your screen or through our website, itiswritten.com. Thank you for your continued prayerful support. Our toll-free number is 800-253-3000, 800-253-3000. Our web address is itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Conversations from It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw, blessed to be with Christian Bedar from Shepherd's Call Ministries. I'm blessed to be here as well. You are now a Christian minister. That is, you gave a concert and spoke, and God just kind of brought it together. Then invitations came, Yes. and uh, one thing led to another, is what I'm, what I'm imagining happened. You end up speaking quite a lot about music. Mm. How did you get it? And, and let, let's be clear before we go too far down that road. You don't just speak about music. Tell me a little bit about, uh, broaden that picture of Shepherd's Call Ministry so we have a better understanding of what it is you do. Sure. Uh, So our ministry is really a ministry. uh, We do have an evangelistic side of it. Well, I'll work with evangelists. I don't do evangelistic campaigns. However, we have done programs that are for the public. And it might be music. It might be social media. It might be my story. And that gets the public there. And then we go deeper. So we have a threefold ministry. We use the, the, the Word of God, we use music, and we use media to share the three angels' messages, to share Christ our righteousness, and to work for a revival and reformation within the church. Some are evangelists that bring them in, but there have to be some guards at the gate that will keep the, the church on the straight and narrow. And we see that as our job, like Paul, going and fanning the flame. Tell me about music. How do you see music? What, we're going to talk about what's good, what's not so good, what's what's good, what's obviously bad, and maybe some of that gray area in between. So when you, teach, when you speak about music, what are the principles you're sharing? Oh, I think it's important to understand how I came to these realizations. As I was going around the country and eventually the world sharing these uh, concerts and, and different messages, people were coming out of the woodworks to ask me about my opinion on music. And I'm thinking, I have some opinions, but are they, what are they based on? I think some of my opinions were more based on the fact that let's just stay away from all of this music that's obviously bad. And I had swung to a place to where I became, I think, frankly, too overtly conservative in even some of my media choices because I had been in media. I had sure. been in the world. So I, I kind of swung too far, perhaps. Natural enough. And, and I didn't want to answer these questions based on what my opinion was. So my wife and I began a journey studying this out. And, and frankly, it took me uh, about eight years of study before I actually even spoke on the subject, and then another two years before I ever released an actual seminar on it. And so I began studying this out, and I came to a very strong convictions that we have some issues in Christendom. And what's happening is we've seen a swing, especially in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, where we were very, um, very, very, very conservative and it, it swung to a, a place of almost constricting conservatism. And uh, a generation was raised in a lot of Christless preaching, frankly. And so they, they and, and if you just study out church history, you, you see this very clearly. And so God was trying to re- raise up different people to teach Christ our righteousness again. Different ones, Jones and Wagner, different people. And what they were trying to bring back was Christ as the, the center of everything. So this, this, this group, that was they felt like they had the Bible beat over their head and, 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 and spiritual writings beaten over their head. They said enough is enough, and they didn't want that so anymore. And they thought anything that deals with 
the word of God, the, the law of God became hostile to the gospel is what they felt. And so eventually they swung to this other side sure. and liberalism was born. And in my investigations, I'm seeing, all, I'm a convert, so I didn't know all the history. I was like, oh, there it is. And so what happened was liberalism was born in the church. And so with that, they bring in more entertainment-laden worship styles. And I saw this as, as very problematic uh, because I had come from the world, especially the world of entertainment, and I had learned about a sacred holy God. And I thought, I don't think you're supposed to bring the world and entertainment into the house of God to entertain the people to spiritual death. Where's the line, and how? Do, where's the line you just don't want to cross when it comes to bringing the secular into one's Christian experience? Well, first of all, we're told that we should never bring anything of the world to win the world. We just should not be doing that. And, and, and this makes sense. I was a worldly guy. I had gone to multiple churches. I didn't get into my testimony of this, but I had gone to different churches. I had gone to some churches that they're rolling in the aisles, and they had some crazy music going on. They had drama and theater and Satan and Jesus, everybody. I mean, it was all there. I literally walked in. I said, whoa, this something's not right here. I've been to those places myself. There was a disconnect. As, sure. a, as a new Christian, I knew a lot of that I needed to leave behind. That's right. So we're, there's never a, a good result by bringing in the carnival into a church and calling it a sacred worship service. They don't use the word sacred anymore. But when you look at the character of God, we, we serve a holy God. We serve a just God, a beautiful God, a merciful God, a gracious God. I don't serve a hip-hop God or a rock and roll God. And, and I, don't, I don't serve a party God. I serve a joy-filled God. I think there's going to be times when we're going to have that celebration. But I see a problem with bringing in this type of worldly secular music. The challenge with it is there's neurological implications, there's physiological implications, and there's spiritual implications. So why is God not a rock and roll God? And I know you didn't say that God does not love rock and rollers. That's of course, a separate, yeah. But someone, someone heard me say that, and I want, to, I want to correct that in your thinking. Why is God not a rock and roll God? Yeah. Well, first of all, the, the genre or the style of music rock and roll was birthed out of rebellion. And God is not of rebellion. The devil is of rebellion. He rebelled against God and his government and his law and his character. So God, not being the author of rebellion, would never utilize a, a medium of rebellion to teach his gospel. So he would not be a rock and roll God. You could say he wouldn't be a hip-hop or a rap God because, again, those genres, anybody that's in those genres, they'll tell you it is a genre or a style of music that is rebellion and it's infused with that character. And as a listener, we become imbued with the same spirit. Except that somebody is watching right now, yeah. and they're saying, kids come to church and it's boring. Right. And, and they listen to these old hymns, and they're droning on, and there's some old lady with a squeaky voice in the organ, and who listens to organ music anyway? Yeah. And this is the music that kids are accustomed to. I'm right to, there with them. Right, right, right. <laughs> but they like this music. Yeah. And so if we just change the music in church, yeah. it'll be what the kids like. Right. And so they'll like to be in church. And that's really one of the great cries. What they're saying is the music bed doesn't matter. The lyrical content is all that matters. So if we have good Christian lyrics, the music bed doesn't matter. There you go. I mean, right? You've heard it before. Of course I have. Yeah. I, I talk about this. Sure. Thing. So here's the question. I have, and that is when you talk about com communication, we're having a conversation right now. 
Did you know that 93% of our communication is nonverbal? Nonverbal. Yeah. 7%, 7% is what we're saying. 93 is how we're saying. Okay. Okay, so think of it this way. Music itself, the lyrical content is 7% of, that's what's being said, right? The 93% is the body language, it's the music. And so the way that you say something is far more impactful than what you're saying. Is that true? It would have to be true. It, it would. So if sure. I said, I love Jesus, you're yeah. thinking, right, amen. But what if I said, you know, I love Jesus? Yeah, uh, you, don't, you clearly don't, and you portray right. that with how you say so it. So if my music bed is more of that, whatever, or it's angry, or it's sensual, whatever, but it has Jesus lyrics on it, you are going to respond to the 93% more than you will the 7%. And so this is why we say we're imbued with the spirit of it. If it's an angry song, no matter what Jesus lyrics are on it, it's going to make you angry. I just said to somebody just the other day, there was a song playing in the background in a restaurant, a song I've known for decades. Mm -hmm. Couldn't tell you what the words are. Right. Couldn't tell you. I can tell you there's a worldly person. I like that pop rock song. Mm -hmm. But you, you know how you listen to songs and can't understand the words. Lots of Christian music, just the same. Absolutely. Just the same. No question. You haven't a clue what the words are, but... Boy, the music and the, the, the beat music. and the rhythm and everything moves you. Sure. We like it. Why is that? We, the, the audible, auditory nerves are more extensively uh, distributed throughout the body than any other nerve system in the body. Yeah. Why is that? I believe an audible, musical God created us to experience music. This is why it becomes so personal to us. It's, we don't, it's not just an aural experience. It's a physiological experience as well. And so this is why we tend to cling to these musics. The challenge, John is that depending on what's going on with the song, it can impact the frontal lobe. It can hypnotize it or put it to sleep, if you will, put it in a different brain state, which is called alpha versus beta. Beta is where you're critically analyzing everything coming in, and that's important for a sermon, right? Sure it is. If you're sitting in church, oh, yeah. you don't want to be in that alpha state to where everything goes in without interpretation and it changes our soul. So what if it's a false doctrine being preached? You see the problem. Oh, sure. Neurologically, we release uh, opioids, we release uh, sex hormones called uh, gonadotropins, all kinds of things that happen with certain kinds of music. And on top of that, it drives our physiology many times. So, Explain that. Well, the, the challenge that we have uh, is when uh, we have certain rhythms in our body, and we have rhythms with the environment in which we live. And when we introduce certain kinds of rhythms that might go against that, the brain sees that as an assault. It, it's it's a, an agitation. It creates what science calls a friction between the left and right hemisphere. So it releases a hormone like opioid, which is like a, like a morphine type. It's an opioid, which is like morphine. And it causes the brain to go, oh, okay, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man, I love this music. This is great. So you're, you're, what happens is over time you're juicing a, a, uh, neurotransmitters. You're juicing hormones and other hormones as well. So eventually you become literally addicted to that music. And so this is why listeners will tend to move from less to harder music to get that same feeling. And this is why it becomes very personal to them because it makes them feel a certain way. Here's what I'm worried about. I think there's an overwhelming deception in this world. We know that we're, everything is crescendoing to a close right now with Jesus coming at the foot at the foot of the door is ready to happen. And, and we know that Satan's going to burst on the scene, the scene here. And unfortunately, in many of these worship services all around the world in different denominations, 
this music that's making everybody feel these things, release of brain chemical hormones, and that, that frontal lobe not functioning, and they're singing sometimes these vain repetitions, the same song over and over and over and over and over again, bye-bye, prefrontal cortex, you're not going to process now properly. They get this emotional experience, and they're mistaking this contrived emotional experience for the Holy Spirit. Now, picture perhaps in the future, the devil comes, which we know he's going to personate Christ. I guarantee you that's going to be a musical event. And some people are going to be going, oh, ah, that's my shepherd. I know that voice. He's saying to me for so long. So I think it's a much, much larger, much deeper issue than many people even understand it to be. Let's I think we're being serenaded by the devil. I think we'd agree that most parents, most, many parents, haven't got much of a clue about what their kids are listening to. That's true. Why is it, why is it imperative that parents keep on top of, monitor, and do something about the music their kids are listening to these well, days? Well, it, it boils down to the Bible principle that we find, by beholding we are changed, right? And the reality is, if whatever you spend your time with the most, you're going to become more like that. If you spend the time with the world, you become more like the world. If you spend more time with the Lord, you're going to be more like the Lord, right? Yeah, but it's just music. Right, and, and, and to say that is to underestimate the power of music. Tell me where music isn't in this world. It's everywhere. Everywhere. Artwork is not everywhere. Movies are not everywhere. Video is not everywhere. Music is everywhere, even in the churches, in our homes, in our cars, in our places of business, on the airplane, in the elevator. It's everywhere. And indeed, it's influencing and moving even the psychology of people. Why the kids? Because when, as parents, we both have children. When... When we're raising them, we're very careful with who they hang out with. Oh, that's for sure. Why? Because of the influence of their peers. Of course. Yeah. Well, parents are not as... They're, they're vigilant with the tangible child. That's the little brat, let's say. Okay? I don't want you associating with little Johnny because he's a little terror. Why? We don't want our children to be imbued with the same spirit. Well, here's the challenge. People are letting their kids hang out with that kid next door and they're being imbued with those spirits in their earbuds and the music that they are listening to. So they may not be hanging out with Johnny for an hour a day, but they may be hanging out with Johnny's character for eight or ten hours a day. The thing people, I, I, I believe, really need to realize is that music doesn't exist exclusive of its culture. Music brings a culture with it. Absolutely. So in the 60s, if you were listening to the Rolling Stones, you weren't simply listening to the Rolling Stones, you were buying the culture. Mm -hmm. 70s the same. 80s, whether you're listening to Van Halen or the police or whoever it might have been, yep. you get the culture. And so today, whether it's rock or I think grunge is probably a generation ago or hip hop, nineties, yeah. you don't simply get the music. Mm -mm. You must get the culture that comes There's along. There's a lifestyle it. that comes with it. Yeah. Or you're going to be influenced by that culture. You know, what's interesting is uh, I, I have in my seminar, we have several different uh, people that we refer to. One of them is this man named Anthony Campalo that was a reporter that went to this, what used to be called Music Fest, kind of like a uh, Woodstock for Christian musicians. And he reported on it. And here's what he said. Being behind the stage, backstage with all these big Christian groups and singers was absolutely frightening. Oh, and why? Yeah. He said to hear the language they used, their hate for one another. But when, when showtime came, they went out with, hey, aren't we all together in the name of Jesus and the Lord that we share? What's going on? The music doesn't just impact us as listeners. Indeed, it's impact us as music creators. So they've been converted by their own music. 
and so is the listener. Music in the church, anyone who has a pulse recognizes that in the last 25 years, there's been a drastic shift. Yes. Well, you don't, you don't have to be devoid of a pulse. Maybe you simply don't get out much and you think that your little corner of Pennsylvania or Alabama is the world. Right. Get out. Yes. And you see that there being some changes. The times they are are changing. Mm-hmm. Where's it? I'm not asking you to play prophet, but I am. Mm-hmm. Where's it heading? Mm-hmm. And is there, is it possible that we can see things, generally speaking, get back to where maybe God would like him to be. You know, it's interesting because we've been now speaking on the subject for a good solid 10 years. And when we first started speaking on it, there wasn't as many glaring examples and issues. Like you said, the crescendo is happening. It's getting worse, and indeed it is. But what I've also seen, and this just warms my heart, is that not only have we seen some churches just really go off the deep end, but we've seen... Other churches that are feeling like uh, there's people that want to bring this in and they've brought, brought in certain kinds of music or worship styles that are more celebration or more paradigm, new paradigm. We don't have time to get into all of that, but it's this whole new entertainment-laden worship service and whip up the emotions and guide them. And, and the, what we've seen is there are people everywhere in the world, even conferences that are calling me saying, come and teach the conference, teach the pastors, teach the, the leadership to where they understand, wait a second, we don't need to go that way. So I see some that are going, we started bringing it in, but we started seeing some problems. Okay, so we need to get some education. Who can we bring? Ah, he talks on it, or he, she does, or whatever. So they're starting to bring us, because I believe we have a very short window right now, and it's time to strike. Where Whomever invites us will go. This is why my wife and I sold everything that we have, and we are now on the road full-time, going wherever God calls us. We're living in an RV right now. <laughs> Oof, not so, for the faint of heart. Well done. No, praise the Lord. I mean, it's not a sacrifice, it's a privilege. Amen, that's true. And so we'll go wherever people want to make changes. So we're going a step further, though. We're saying, okay, let's actually put in some law, if you will, guidelines in the church. So we're, gonna, we're helping churches to rewrite even their music policies after a seminar. I, we now instruct them, have a music committee meeting either while we're here or at least the week right following so it's fresh in your mind and you make good Holy Spirit-informed decisions. So we're working from that aspect of let's make real change. How does it all end up? I think, like I mentioned before, the whole thing is it's all part of a crescendo of entertainment, a crescendo of evil. I think we're, we're told, by the way, that none of this kind of worship should be brought into the house of God and that the Holy Spirit never uses such methods. So we have to go out and educate. What, with what that tells us, at the end of time, we know that specifically the devil will work through music, and specifically the words are, in which the way the music is conducted. So there's no greater reference of what's going to happen. So I know at the end of time, there will be music, a music facet to it. Will it be only of it? No. But could it deceive some of the very elect? Very powerfully. We are told by Paul in 1 Corinthians, whether therefore you eat mm-hmm. or drink or, or whatever, whatever you, do, you do, do all to the glory of God. That's right. So it, it suggests very strongly that there is a way to do music to the glory of God. No question. And conversely, a way to, to do, conduct, celebrate, perform music that is not to the glory of God. That's right. Maybe that's something more people need to spend more time thinking about. 
Absolutely. Hey, I want to just double back around. Get all the way back to the beginning. Oh. You and your mom. Yeah. How's your mom doing these days? Oh, man. My mom, she's doing fantastic. She became a very strong Christian. Uh, in fact, what is really beautiful, John, is not only did, my, did the Lord capture my heart, captured Kobe's heart, but also captured both of my brother's hearts, pulled them out of drugs, pulled them out of prison eventually, and they both have their own little ministries oh, now, thank God. which is fantastic. But the Lord went a step further with my mom and my stepdad. In fact, you'll be interested to know that uh, she was, they were sitting at my home uh, and on our property. We had a ministry building there, and we were having staff worship. And we were studying through the great controversy, and we got to the place to where there were some changes made in God's law. And my mom said, was it you that told us that before? I said, yeah. She goes, could you study that out with us? I said, inside I'm going, you have no idea. The answer is a full-on yes. Oh, yeah. So we sat down. We did a full study on that. We did a full study on the Sabbath. And I had pulled out the It Is Written Bible studies. Amen. And we went through that Sabbath study, and my mom started crying. And I said, what's wrong, Mom? I see you're, you're a little emotional. She said, well, how come I've studied all my life, but I've never seen this? I've studied, not my life, but the last 20 years of the Bible, and I've never seen these things. And she turned at my, to my stepdad and said, what are we going to do? And he said, we're going to find a new church. So for the last uh, 18 months, Kobe and I have been studying with my parents via FaceTime, going through these Bible studies, and they have accepted everything. They see the truth. My mom kept crying and crying, saying, how is it that somebody can study the word as much as I have, and I've never seen these things? And I said, isn't truth beautiful? It's she said, just yes. beautiful, isn't it? And so I'm going to have the privilege of baptizing them into the faith, and they themselves are going to do that uh, this February. That is magnificent. <laughs> I'm happy to hear the It Is Written Bible Study Guides had a little part in that as well. Well, they did. Amen. Isn't I, just, I highly recommend them. Isn't it just remarkable? All the way, as your story began, it was it, you had some dark moments, yeah. but God obviously had his hand over you. Yep, I believe it. With and all he my still heart. does. Amen. We're grateful for you. We appreciate what Thank you, you do. Thank you, brother. God bless you and Shepherd School Ministries. God bless Thanks you. for taking the time today. We're very grateful. I appreciate it. And thank you for taking the time today. It's been good to be here. Great to have you with us. With Christian Budal, I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation. Mm-hmm.